There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Friends, thank you for joining me today here on WCN TV. Uh, I'm Pastor Mike, and uh, you're going to really appreciate uh, our guest today, uh, Doctor Pastor Brian Haynes. Um, tremendous book, War in the Wilderness. Fight for your family when life isn't as it should be. Boy, isn't that the truth? Life as we have known it is changing, and it's changing uh, at warp speed, as some might say, changing. And uh, I don't think we're going to go back ever to what we had just five years ago, even. Some of us are asking the question, how do we slow down this this out-of-control train? How can we recover from all of the things that continue to to batter us as a people, and especially as the people of God. Everything seems more distressed than before, says uh, my guest, Pastor Brian Haynes. People recognize something is changing. Perhaps they can't put their finger on it exactly, but all people know something has shifted in the world. That's, That's a big amen for sure. Brian looks at the motives of our arch enemy, Satan, and explains his tactics, manipulation, lies, and desire to destroy us and our families, and I think he has gone all in, to borrow a poker term, pushing all his chips into the middle. We are raising our families in a war zone, Pastor Brian says, and some of you are in the midst of that war right now. Dr. Brian Haynes has served the church locally and globally as a pastor for more than 25 years. He focuses on family, parenting, and discipleship. He is the author of three other books, Relentless Parroting, the Crucial Pursuit of Your Teen's Heart, Shift, What It Takes to Finally Reach Families Today, The Legacy Path, Discovering Intentional Spiritual Parenting. And the website is brianhaines.org. And thank you, producer, for having that up, brianhaines.org. Brian, welcome to WCN-TV. Thank you so much, Pastor Mike, for having me. I'm glad to be here. You're very, very welcome. Uh, as I said before we went on the air, I, I I did read the book and I thought it was it was fantastic. I like personally, I like good concise uh, books 
that get to the point immediately. And you did that in this one. And it's, it's not just a book that describes your experiences. And that's probably where we're going to start. Um, but it also provides solutions. I think that's so important today, Pastor Brian. We, we, we can talk about what's wrong, but if that's all we do is just talk about what's wrong, we don't offer any solutions, things that, that people can do. As we get started, please tell our viewers a, a little bit about you and, and, and what inspired you to write this book uh, to begin with. Sure. Well, I am a pastor here in Houston, Texas, Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School. I kind of oversee that ministry. Been here 12 years. Um, married my high school sweetheart. We've known each other since we were 15. We are now 49. So we basically grew up together. We have uh, three girls, three daughters. They're 20, 21, and 15. And so uh, I, I guess we've been li living the dream and uh, it's it's been good for the most part. I do think uh, the motivator for this book is both pastoral and personal. Um, from a pastoral perspective, uh, it's just probably what everybody is noticing, the idea that uh, everything is changing and people are experiencing levels of difficulty, suffering, I would call them uh, mental anguishes, spiritual uh, attacks, physical difficulties, suffering and calamity and chaos on uh, on kind of new levels. Uh, I just work with people as a pastor. But also, uh, personally, we've been through our own calamity, our own difficulty. And uh, it's because of that and that journey that I really wanted to write this book in a concise way to say to people, um, there are reasons why this is happening, uh, this calamity and the suffering, um, who God is in the midst of that, how the enemy is sort of uh, working against us, and what we can do. Uh, to fight back yeah yeah and you you uh and your family know personally um the war is raging and and uh it can make you it can make you feel emotionally especially uh, like you're in the wilderness and mm -hmm. and uh you're a you're you and your family um Brian are a good example of the fact that Trouble comes to all of us. It's 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 part of the the condition of the world that we live in. Uh, no one is, is immune. Um, and I've heard this over the years, and I know you have as well. Uh, people people think that well, if I'm if I'm walking with God, if I'm if I'm doing my best, if I'm if I'm you know all of these things, and they go down their list. If I'm doing all this, then then trouble's not going to touch me. And that simply is not true, is it? No, it's not true, and it's not true for a few um, a few reasons, um, as you know. Uh, but I'll just kind of make it clear to our audience today: we are living in a time frame biblically. If you look at this thing from a uh, just through the lens of a biblical worldview, we're living in a time between two gardens. Uh, we were created for Eden. It's paradise. It was a perfect place where there was no shame uh, between people and between God. There was no sin. 
And as soon as Sin enters the picture in Genesis chapter three, and Adam and Eve are moved outside of the garden, they move right outside of that garden and into a wilderness, a desert of sorts. And they are not, we do not see resolution completely for that wilderness experience until we get to Revelation 21, when we see the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It's that new garden of of shalom, garden of peace, where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Sin has been placed outside the camp. We're not living in a place where we're impacted by our own sin or the sins of other people. But everything biblically between Genesis 3 and Revelation 21 is wilderness. And uh, that's where we're living. That's the environment that we we find ourselves in. And uh, it's it's clear that that the wilderness is a it's a beautiful place, but it's also a broken and chaotic place. Yes. And in the midst of it, uh, we we do face difficulty. Yeah, yeah, and your 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 family certainly did, and 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 in a sense, this uh, this book came from a personal place mm-hmm. that, that you and and your family went through. Could you briefly? Um, describe that for our viewers and, and, and folks, let me, let me again, encourage you to get the book. It's, it's well worth the read. Uh, Thank you. Producer war in the wilderness fight for your family when life isn't as it should be. So, so pastor Brian, what was that situation that just kind of um, shattered uh, your world, at least uh, for a season? Mm -hmm. We, like I said, we have uh, three daughters and um, as parents, forget the pastor part for a minute, but just as parents, um, as they grew up, we worked um, as a diligently to disciple them to the fullest of our capability and um, to kind of try to do all the right things. I mean, we didn't get it perfect, but we did our best uh, to be kind of gospel centered um, parents. And, uh, when our oldest daughter was about 16 years old, we began to experience just, um, a a level of uh, calamity in our home because of her, her levels of depression and anxiety. And we didn't understand where that was coming from, but what we were experiencing did not match the trajectory of her life as we knew it. Um, and she didn't know where it was coming from. And she was pretty angry all of the time. It was, it was hard on all of us. And uh, a couple of years went by and we just kind of navigated that. And when she was 18, um, she left home to go to college. And when she was just in her freshman year of college, there was a night where um, we just had this sense that you get as, as parents uh, sometimes that something's not exactly right. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my phone to see where she was. And she was in a, a park off the university campus late at night, just sitting in her truck. Um, and so I, I called her. And as I, uh, I began to listen to her, she was weeping and, and saying things like she couldn't take it anymore. And um, it was, it was, uh, she was emotionally um, exhausted. She was, um, in some ways suicidal. And so, 
uh, we got her instantly we worked to get her help, but it just didn't match the trajectory of her life. We didn't understand as parents, like, where is this coming from? What happened? And she went to counseling and the counselor reached out to me um, a, a few sessions into that and asked me if she had ever been sexually abused or sexually assaulted. And we, Angela and I, or my wife and I, we did not know of any instance in her life where that that would have happened. We were really careful. Um, we were kind of that, hey, we don't even do spend the night parties as families because being in the pastoral ministry in pretty large settings, we had seen all kinds of um, of abuse that's taken place in, in situations like that. And so we avoided those things. Well, the counselor just said, it's, it's she's textbook for, uh, for sexual abuse or sexual assault in her past. And so they began to work with her. And to make a long story short, they pulled a specific time, specific place, a specific person. Um, she had repressed uh, this memory um, and protection of her, of her own childhood. Five, six, seven, this happened on multiple occasions. But the time that they pulled initially, I could put the individual in my house because it was during a uh, hurricane here on the Gulf Coast. Um, their house was kind of right in the pathway. And so they they came to live with us uh, for a period of time. And this is where um, this initially happened. And so at that point, we had knowledge that we didn't have, um, but it opened for us just this Pandora's box of, of calamity and chaos. It impacted everybody in our family. It came with the need to uh, confront uh, those who had sinned against us. It, it came with the need for counseling, extensive counseling for our daughter and late, later daughters. Um, and it came with like legal hooks that we never anticipated, you know, having to, to deal with. And so it just, it just wrecked our lives for several years. Um, very difficult um, without just sharing every detail. It just was excruciating experience. And it was excruciating for for every member of our family. And if they would all, um, our oldest daughter would tell you her own story if she was sitting here. It's not like I'm I'm telling something she's unaware of. Um, she she would she would share testimony. Um, it was it was just dark and it was difficult. It was uh, mental. It was emotional. It was spiritual. It was physical. Um, and we needed, uh, we needed as parents to figure out like, how do we fight for our daughter and how do we fight for our family in this time? To make a, lo a longer story short, I just love to give the audience an understanding that our family, uh, God led us through. And our, our daughter is in a very, very good place, very healthy and in a, in a, a beautiful relationship with God, all of our girls are. And so I'm really thankful for that. But it was just a dark, treacherous time. We learned some deep lessons of God in the midst of that wilderness in our lives. And we learned how the enemy worked and uh, how to fight back. So. Yeah. Amen. Well, folks, uh, 
Pastor Brian just gave you a synopsis of the book. So what do you do when you're in the wilderness, when you're in the midst of this chaos? How in the world do you hang on? How do you recognize what's happening? How do you identify these strategies and the things that that the enemy is throwing at you? And how do you how do you overcome all of those things? Um, that's that's what this book is about. Um, and I'll say that uh, and then I'll let you comment, Pastor Brian. Uh, God's in the wilderness, though, isn't he? When we find ourselves there, he is there already. He is. You know, one of the one of the scriptures I point to, I read the Psalms over and over and over again. And, and the it's about a three year time period of intensity. And uh, one of the, the Psalms that I clung to, it says that God is, is the God who rides through the desert. And it just gave me this picture of his awareness of us, his sovereignty over everything that we were going through and that he was with us. He really is Emmanuel, God with us. Um, so he, he, we never got this extraction, you know, you pray for and very difficult situations. I found myself at least praying for like, God, remove us from this, you know, and he never did. He, he, he walked with us through it. He led the way through the wilderness, but he didn't remove us from it. And, um, it was, uh, actually looking back, we learned, I wouldn't be the same person if I hadn't walked those years with God in uh, a little bit different way. Um, than we had in the past, just understanding our need for him yes. uh, in, a, in a deep way. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a, a few moments ago, Brian, that we are living between two gardens. And boy, that if if folks could could get that picture in their mind, there was Eden and God is in the process of restoring that. When he talks about a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all of these things, he's talking about restoring his creation to what it once was. But in the interim, in the interim, friends, there's going to be trial and travail and difficulties and heartbreak and sorrow. And and the fact that we belong to the Father by faith in Christ isn't going to to buffer or or put us in a cocoon that's going to keep us from those things. Now, our faith walk by its very nature is going to keep us from a lot of those troubles because we're not going to engage in this. We're not going to entertain those, those thoughts and, and, and so on. So one of the things that I want to emphasize, uh, Brian, to those who have joined us today is this, that when you find yourself in a difficult place, don't, uh, don't blame yourself necessarily. I mean, yes, we all make choices, but sometimes people find themselves in very difficult places very painful places and it wasn't anything that they did. Mm-hmm. And, and so we need to, I call it negative self-talk. S- stop agreeing with the enemy. When we find ourselves, you know, in a, in a chaotic situation, stop agreeing with the enemy that you deserve to be there. You did this, or you did that and understand that God will minister to you, especially there. And, and he wants to, he wants to draw you out of that to, to walk with you through that. And he, and he wants to teach you something through that. Even when it's an unfair situation, the Father has something for us to learn and something for us, I believe, to develop in us 
for later in our faith walk. I don't know if all that makes sense or not, Brian, but talking about the wilderness just reminds me, not only is God there, but he's also wanting to walk with us and he wants us to draw from that through through the insights that he's going to give us. That's absolutely true, Mike. The uh, struggle that I had personally as a father was hyper-evaluating what could I have done differently. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the enemy has a tendency to take those wilderness experiences that we, we didn't do anything to deserve and lie into them. So he's a deceiver. He's a liar. So mm-hmm. he, he's lying to me. He's lying to my wife. He's lying to my daughters from lots of different angles, trying to get us to believe things about God, things about ourselves, things about each other that aren't true. And so recognizing the enemy's native language is very important in uh, wilderness experiences because you do, you do have this tendency to want to believe um, you have so much power that you could have done something different or better. And, And the enemy plays on that. When we're talking about the sins of other people, wounds caused by the sins of others, that somebody had nothing to do with. Um, there is always, especially with sexually abu- sexual abuse, there is always so much shame and guilt on the part of the victim. Yeah. And uh, that's the fingerprints of the enemy because they've, they've done nothing uh, wrong, didn't do anything to deserve that. And, uh, and so the enemy works that way. The, the truth is the way to kind of come out of that is to replace replace lies with truth that's the only way um to to kind of combat the work of the enemy as he as he uses lying tactics and the only way that you're gonna know truth is to continue what hopefully was already a walk with jesus as you're going through the uh, the wilderness um the, the deepest and darkest parts of it it's important i guess uh to understand that uh, we um, we get to places in the wilderness that we can't survive um, on our own, uh, and it 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 is only God. You know, you think about the kind of illustratively. You think uh, about the the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness after they uh, are delivered from Egypt, and they wander for forty years. And in the deepest part of the wilderness, yes, they grumble. Yes, there's there's difficulty and all that. But they experience the greatest miracles of God, water from a rock, manna from heaven. And so it's staying close to God and dependent on God, even when you, you, you're going to have a tendency even to blame God, because the, the enemy will tell you God's not as good as uh, you thought he was because of mm-hmm. this circumstances you're in but the answer is clinging to god in the midst of it and uh, that's where we uh we experience eventual freedom and uh and healing and restoration amen and and you uh in chapter two you talk about uh, the wilderness and and you give readers three different words to consider from the hebrew i thought that was a great uh, great illustration. Could you walk uh, those who've joined us today, walk us through that, um, those three words and, and what they mean. 
what reminded me of that, as you just said, sometimes we'll find ourselves in a place where we cannot help ourselves. We need help in that place. Right. Ah, you talked about that in your book. Right. Uh, Well, there are, I get to do this crazy thing every year. That's just a gift from the Lord. And uh, I, I lead sometimes twice a year, people uh, on hiking tours, discipleship experiences of Israel. And we spend a lot of time in the wilderness, the desert uh, three days, because it gives us such perspective on the Old Testament, on the writings of um, David, on the on, on the Gospels, even, and so we find in the Hebrew language there are many words for wilderness or desert, but there are three main ones that uh, inform our experience. One is the word midbar, and midbar, like the Book of Numbers, and it's called Numbers in English, but in Hebrew it's Bah Midbar, into the wilderness. Um, Midbar is um, wilderness you can survive if you know what you're doing. So in in pragmatic terms, you can find shade there, you can find water there, you can grow food there if you know what you're doing. Um, And Midbar, metaphorically, you know, metaphorically, all of life is desert is wilderness, uh, like I said, between two gardens, Genesis 3 and Revelation 21. But Midbar is kind of our normal. Uh, we're always in Midbar. We we kind of forget we're in the wilderness because it seems really normal and we can kind of make it. But there's a second kind of desert that requires more, and it's it's the word Sia. And Sia uh, is desert you can survive in if you have help. Yes. So... <clears throat> It's a it's a deeper part of the wilderness. You're not going to find trees there. It's very difficult to find water there. Um, not a lot of ability to grow things. And so you're going to need hospitality and you're going to need community in order to survive. So the picture when David says, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's a, it's a picture of kind of the Bedouin hospitality, the Bedouin culture, high value of hospitality. You're going to need people to meet basic needs for you in Sia because you can't do it by yourself. You're going to need community, other people coming around you that can hold you up when you can no longer take a step and see uh and you know if if everybody's honest and they've lived any length of time they would say i i've i can point at places in my life where uh i've been in sia where i couldn't have survived if it weren't for other people community and hospitality so that's the second type of wilderness a little bit deeper than midbar it's sia and then the, the third that I would point out is called Yashimon. And Yashimon is the deepest, uh, most difficult, most treacherous part of the wilderness. This is wilderness that you cannot survive in. So even if you have help, um, you're not going to be able to live uh, for any length of time in Yashimon because there is no water. You cannot grow anything. There's nothing moving to kill and eat. There is no shade. There is no shelter, nothing to build shelter with. It's just, uh, it's a very desolate, desolate place. And, uh, and sometimes we go there. Our family found ourselves there in Yashimon and in the kind of life 
that is desert you can't survive in. There were times I thought, I don't know how we're going to make it through this intact. Um, will all five of us still be walking with Jesus after this? Will our marriage survive this? Will our daughter and, and, and secondarily our daughters um, survive this spiritually, emotionally, physically? So in Yashimon, you need God. Um, you need the presence of God. You need the miracles of God. This is where um, about uh, 40 or 50 percent of the wilderness wanderings take place. It's like Sinai and, and the, the far southern uh, Negev near the Egyptian border. This is all uh, Yashimon, desert you can't survive. Just to give you a practical example, when we lead hiking tours there, we take a group of Americans, we carry in water, we have $200 hiking shoes, we have all the gear. I know that I have four hours to get them in and out of there, and particularly, or they'll begin to dehydrate. We'll run out of water, uh, they'll begin to dehydrate, and we'll have, uh, we'll have problems. It's just a hard place, and sometimes life is like that. Uh, many of, of of us have been in wilderness you cannot survive. But God is the God who rides through the desert. Even Jesus, Jesus was crucified in the Judean wilderness, just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. He knows the way through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what makes him the good shepherd. That what, that's what makes him the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he is our path. When that desert is so desolate, he is our shepherd. When that desert is so discouraging, he's the truth. When the enemy's hurling lies at us in the midst of those circumstances. And so we really, really, really have to cling to him. Even if we don't feel like it, it's, it's a, it becomes a discipline where I need to hear God in order to survive. Um, and so the wilderness is real and we're living in it and we're in warfare in the midst of it. Yes. Amen. So very, very true. Thank you for that explanation. I think that it really illustrated folks uh, for folks. Um, so you spend several chapters in, in the book, um, Brian, talking about conflict and, and warfare, a um, couple of chapters on enemy tactics um, and then a chapter on the impacts uh, of war. Um, I think we've already established that we are going to be in conflict with this world simply by who we are, who we belong to, and and most especially when we when we live a true biblical worldview, we're we're automatically going to be in conflict, especially in this present age and. Um, as I said, we, we opened the show, uh, Brian, I, I think it's, it's getting even worse. Um, I'm old enough to remember when, when Christians were, were somewhat respected in the community and, and uh, pastors especially were, were sought after for their, for their counsel, for their opinion on, on uh, social issues. Uh, that's not, not true today like it once was. And so um, I'm saying that so that people won't be discouraged by that or, or fall into despair, but just to understand this is the condition of the world that we live in. And if we are faithful to our, to our Lord and, and 
to our father, then we're going to find ourselves in this place um, sooner rather than later and probably more often than we would <laughs> we would choose uh, to be. So so I guess I, what I'm saying is our identity as as believers is going to bring us into conflict with this world. And and so you talk about that um, in your book. And and of course, uh, John writes for us about the world, the flesh and the devil, that those constant things that we're battling all of the time. So so speak a little bit about that, and then maybe we'll discuss some of the specific tactics that our enemy tries to use against us. Sure. I mean, I think we all are probably aware uh, that the culture is changing rapidly, and it, it does not embrace a Judeo-Christian ethic, maybe that it, it once did in large part. And so the biblical worldview on uh, on mainstream issues is an outlier at this point and causes, uh, if you speak and live into that biblical worldview, um, no matter how loving you, you speak, if you're speaking truth, or no matter how uh, neighborly you are in your uh, walk with Christ, you, you encounter all kinds of conflict just culturally. Mm-hmm. It, it, it brings tension to your family. It brings uh, maybe sometimes personal uh, attack. Um, and so it, it's a real issue. The culture is pushing on us in, in a direction that is uh, opposite of the way the scripture says walk. Yes. And then we're walking around in this flesh, right? So we, we are in a sanctification process. If we've uh, come to know Christ, we're being sanctified and promised eternity and all that. But we're still, like Paul said, waging war with our, our flesh and temptation. Mm-hmm. And so we've got that pull on our lives. And then finally, I'm not a demon under every rock guy but about every third rock and that third rock is just if we're we're at war you know in the flesh and with the world or the culture also we're feeling a spiritual warfare spiritual attack with the enemy with the devil uh and he has if my reading of scripture is accurate uh and right he he operates with strategy with intention he has an army he makes assignments He's at work in the world and against the purposes of God and people's lives. And so we can't, you know, uh, we can't count that out. I'm a I'm Southern Baptist background. And so we have a tendency to want to negate the spiritual. Uh, we might talk about it in our theology, but practically we, we want to pretend like that's for the other side of the world or for a different day. And it's not really happening right now, but, but we're living in a season now where I think everybody is waking up to the reality of spiritual uh, warfare. And so we do, we fl- we face um, the enemy the world, our flesh. It's, it's kind of uh, three things that are, are, are coming at us all at the same time in the midst of the wilderness. Yes. Amen. So of course, one of the, one of the greatest uh, tactics and the most often used, it's, it's closely connected with, with deception um, is, is lies. Uh, The enemy will, will try to get us to accept his lies and and those can fall and you mentioned in your book those fall in 
three basic categories, lies about God, lies about self, and lies about others. Um, if believers could see that for what it is, um, I think it would it would diffuse pretty quickly some of the strategies that are successful against believers uh, today. Because he's going to start with the Father, isn't he? Lies about God. He is. He does not want you to believe that God is as good as the scripture says that he is, as powerful as the scripture says that he is, as victorious as the scripture says that he is, as loving as the scripture says that he is. He wants us to believe, and you can see this in Genesis uh, 3, as the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, you can see that he tells half-truths about God. Did God really say you know, did it, are you really going to die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And and, he, and the answer to the question is, yes, you really are going to die. Yes, God really did say, but you're not going to die right now. It's going to take some time. You know, yeah. he's he's lying mm-hmm. to try, you know, and the whole purpose in that scenario was he wanted Adam and Eve to see God. God has a different agenda. He doesn't want you to be like him. If you eat of this. You're going to think like him. You're going to know things like him. You're going to be like him and appeal to their, uh, to their flesh, to their pride. Um, And, and somehow insinuated God had this motive or was threatened by humanity that he created. And so he is a liar in our situation. You know, one of the, one of the key questions that was asked uh, by our daughter, who was the victim in this scenario was, where was God when that was happening to me? If he's so loving, if he's so victorious, if he's such a protector and a provider and a deliverer, why didn't he deliver me? And she was asking big questions like that. They were actually good questions because the enemy was whispering in, God's not as good as you think he was. Uh, he's not, see what happened to you and you loved God and, and look what happened, you know? And so he takes those opportunities, those major events in our lives, and he uses those opportunities to lie into us. And he starts with lying about God, that he just isn't as good as the Bible says that he is. That's, that's exactly right. So, so then lies about self. Now, this is where, um, well, I want to be kind and I, and I want to be understood what I'm saying here. Um, the multi-billion dollar talk counseling industry is what it is today because so many people have believed lies about themselves that if they would have a proper, properly oriented and understood biblical worldview and identity through the prism of God's eyes, um, they wouldn't go down that road where they would need that kind of assistance. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing those folks that, that, uh, that have used those uh, talk counseling uh, professionals. I don't mean that at all. I'm, I'm saying that, that the enemy of our souls convinces us of things about ourselves that are simply not true. And if we knew the father to the extent that, that he wants us to know him, we would know that we could avoid some of those crises. What do you think, Brian? I think that's true. Um, um, you know, one thing that we have to keep in mind is that 
uh, everything about our being is connected. So uh, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we're all connected. We can't, we, we have a tendency to want to think about it in compartments. Like the physical is one thing and the mental is another thing and the spiritual is another thing. But it's, we are intricately designed and it's all woven together and it all impacts each other. So at the root of many uh, mental health challenges, um, when you get past the symptoms and the, the kind of stuck cycles that people get in and those kinds of things, uh, what you will find is a root. And that root is often, I think, formed in a lie. Uh, that we believe sometimes it's birthed in trauma. Sometimes it's, 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 it could be a number of different things, but typically it's some event in our life. The enemy lies into it and we believe that lie and then it grows. Um, it's, 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 we have to understand the enemy. He plays the long game. So he has a plan, a stated mission, according to Jesus, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if he can lie into the life of a five-year-old child and impact their young adulthood by getting them to believe something completely false about God, about themselves, about other people, maybe even... Um, he will do it and he'll, he'll foster that lie over time. And, and really what we're trying to do and, and counseling, um, and, and by the way, just our family, when we went through this, we benefited from biblical counseling ministry in the context for our own church, but we also benefited from, uh, licensed practicing counselors who were gospel centered, it's really two different worlds and coming at it from two different angles, but it was a help uh, to have both those people, both those kinds of people in our court. But the, the, what, no matter which angle you're coming at it, what you have to understand is there is, there is real trauma that causes people to believe a lie. And it's, it's that lie that becomes the root of the issues. And so getting, getting, to the heart of that lie and replacing that lie with truth um, is, is kind of where the healing begins. And so you can't make someone believe truth. That's the hard part. They feel so much in the midst of trauma um, and the processing of it. Um, It really is a work of the Holy spirit, constant guidance. Uh, I think parental guidance, I think community guidance, I think counseling guidance. It's, it's a constant effort until at some point the person that rejects the lie and believes on truth. And then they find themselves on a path to healing and, and freedom. Yes. Amen. Amen. So in a, in a, in a separate chapter, you talk about um, enemy tactics and the strategies that, that the enemy uses um, against us. And, and one of those things um, and where we assist the enemy almost always unwittingly, we, we, we don't understand the consequences, the repercussions of, of some of the decisions we make, but, but it's talked about in the context of like opening a door mm-hmm. the enemy to come in and have that impact. And, and I think it's probably accurate uh, Perhaps you could shed some light from your perspective and experience, Brian, 
Sure. It's, it's probably act, uh, accurate to say that we don't, we don't understand the full consequences, the impact that it's going to have, not just in our lives, but in other people's lives by the decisions that we make that are opening doors to the enemy. Hmm. I think um, we are numb to this many times as Christians, and we need to open our eyes uh, to some things. So um, when we choose to agree with the enemy, um, kind of with our hands and our feet, Mm -hmm. uh, we we push doors open for the enemy to come in a little bit more than 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 he already was. I'll just give you one uh, potential example that I see over and over again in pastoral ministry is um, a lot of times people will open the door to the enemy with pornography and they will do it thinking this isn't hurting anybody else. It's private. Nobody knows this is happening. Uh, And maybe at first that is true, but, but when you open that door, it, it's actually inviting in the work of the enemy. And what Satan does is he makes demonic assignments um, to people's lives. I, I remind Christians all the time, you know, as a follower of Jesus, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're uh, uh, possessed by Christ. You're possessed as, as a member of the kingdom of light. But that doesn't mean that you can't be oppressed, that you can't be uh uh, experience in an onslaught of, of warfare. And so when we open those doors, even as Christians, we're inviting in these assignments that get made very quickly. And the enemy just tried, if you open the, you know, crack the door this much, what he tries to do is push it open. And, and, and his desire for every Christian, this is the worst place for a Christian to be, is to be stuck back in a cage of like addiction or, um, what I would call just like a sin prison where you're going in this cycle over and over again. You were saved. You were walking with Jesus and you've opened this door. And now you find yourself stuck to the point of you believe such a lie. Like the only way that I'm ever going to be free of this is when I die and go to heaven. Right. And Mm -hmm. so um, what Jesus said is that he came that you would have life and have it abundantly. That doesn't mean you're going to have loads of money. That means that you're going to have uh, a walk with him, a relationship with him, freedom in him, healing from him, you know, those things. And so we really, as believers, want to stay close to the shepherd and avoid opening doors to the enemy because the enemy is quick to pry that door open much farther than we want it to, to, to be open. Yes, Amen, Amen. And one of the one of the telltale signs that I've noticed over the years in ministry, uh, when someone is struggling uh, with with any kind of thing, and it's beginning to take its toll, it's it's beginning to wear them down and wear them out. Is there is some some degree of of uh, self isolation? I guess I, I would call it. They they start pulling away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Sometimes they don't even realize it, but they start pulling away and and you you see it. You see it clearly. And by the way, friends, if you know somebody that 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 describes that is in your fellowship and your family and you're you're seeing them begin to reach out to them, that's an invitation for you to reach out to them and, and ask to have a conversation and talk to them and ask them what is going on and and 
be those those feet and hands of Jesus. So 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 anyway, um, Pastor Brian, isolation is one of those things that the enemy uses to 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 manipulate and and to beat down even further, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely uh, he definitely will try to isolate you from the community. Um, and so if you have something hidden in your life, you've opened the door and now you have something that you're constantly trying to hide uh, or fought, kind of foster below the surface, your natural tendency is to isolate from people that really care about you because you don't want them to know. And so uh, you do and you you isolate, you become emotionally disconnected, emotionally detached focused on this thing that uh, that is under the surface and uh and we see people pull away all the time i see it with men especially a lot of times when something has blown up in a family and the guy is at the center of that i will ask you know hey who is his best friend that i could reach out to and we could sit down and have a conversation a safe conversation and a lot of times you know, his wife may say he doesn't have any friends or he's not in a group or I've tried to get him to connect with people forever, but he's just been so isolated. And so that isolation is actually if, you, you know, if you go back to that wilderness metaphor, if you try to do the wilderness alone, you will die in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not no man fights alone. No woman fights alone. You, if you find yourself isolating. Uh, you need to reach out to somebody uh, for help. Yes, amen, amen. I appreciated the way that you ended the book, Brian. Chapter twelve is uh, keep drinking. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> let's let's give those who've joined us today. Let's let's bring this back around and let's let's get them oriented to Jesus. Yeah. So uh, a couple times in the scripture. In the, in the Gospels, I, I'll, I'll mention to you, John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria and asks her for a drink of water. And she's like, you're Jewish, I'm, uh, you're a man, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman, we don't talk to each other, what are you doing talking to me? And Jesus responds, if, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water and I would give you a drink and you would drink the kind of water that that would cause you to never thirst again. And she's like, oh, give me that water. I don't want to have to come to this well anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's more conversation that, that ensues. She goes back to her, her village after Jesus has told everything about her to her. She knows that he knows her. Uh, and he, he, he must have gospeled her in the midst of that. She goes back and she tells her village if you follow the passage, they all come back to meet Jesus because here's a man who knew everything about her. She believes the Messiah. I think that whole village comes to Christ because of that Samaritan uh, woman. But what he offered her right there in the middle of the wilderness is Maim Chaim. It's Hebrew for living water. Yes. There's another episode in John chapter 7 where Jesus shows up to the temple uh, mount for Sukkot. He shows up to the temple. Sukkot is the festival of booths uh, that's commanded in the the Torah. And everybody's gathered. And in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, it says, uh, on the, the last and greatest day of the festival, 
And a lot of people don't know, like you have to look at that and think, why does it tell us it's the last day and the greatest day? A lot of people don't know why that's even there and they just read by that. But yeah. on the last day of Sukkot, the high priest did a massive water libation ceremony where he would take a, a golden pitcher, an instrument of the te- temple. He would go down the stairs to the to the spring, uh, the pool of Siloam, which was fed by the spring of, of Gion. And that's living water. It's It's water bubbling up from the ground given by God. And he would bring that picture back up the stairs and lining the stairs would be uh, pilgrims from all over Israel. And they're all chanting, uh, Maim Chaim, Maim Chaim, because they've gathered to ask God to remember God's provision in the wilderness, water from Iraq, manna from heaven, and to ask God for the provision of rain so that their crops can grow because they're an agrarian society. They no rain, no economy, no food, no survival. So they're begging God for water. And it says that Jesus stood up and cried out in a loud voice as that, I, be, I believe as that, that high priest is getting ready to, to pour out this drink offering. I believe the crowd is shouting. And that's why it says that he stood up and got higher than everyone that he shouted if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality. What we do in our, our, our sort of hiking tours, we spend time in the desert and we come to Engedi uh, and to the waters of Engedi, which is, is living water. It's spring water. It's a waterfall right in the middle of the desert. And we talk to people about Jesus as living water. John carries that out into Revelation. We see you know, as, as Christ uh, returns and restores all things, the Mount of Olives is split and living water goes to the east and to the west. Um, Jesus is this living water. And so what I tell people all the time in the midst of wilderness experiences, you, you have to keep drinking. They're always like, what are you saying to me, Pastor? I'm like, no, you have to understand Jesus. The, the thing that you need more in the wilderness than anything to survive is living water. Amen. You need a drink every day. And, uh, and it, it is, uh, I would have said it as a pastor, but as a father, having been through something extremely difficult for a long period of time, thinking I'm not going to get out of this, this wilderness. What I found is that Jesus was very faithful to meet me and to provide for me just enough for the day. He really was my life source, my living water amidst, and he will be that for anyone who comes to him. Amen. Amen, Pastor Brian. So, friends, I've been uh, been chatting with Pastor Brian Haynes, and the book is War in the Wilderness. Thank you, producer. Fight for your family when life isn't as it should be. And, friends, that just scratch the surface. There is so much more uh, in this book that I think you'll find beneficial uh, in your own lives or perhaps uh, in the life of someone that is in your family or even a friend. Uh, so I'd encourage you. Um, Brian, can they get the book from you on your website? Um, there is a link from our website, but the best place is either amazon.com or Randall House, our publisher, has a, a website called warinthewilderness.com that's specific for this book. And you can get it there too. Either and really anywhere you order books is fine. You can get it there. 
Amen. Amen. So really appreciate you joining me today, Brian. It was a wonderful, wonderful walk through your book. I'm sure it encouraged those who've joined us. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you having me. You're very welcome. Friends, that's all we have for you today. Please share this program with with, uh, your friends on your platforms and in your circles and um, get the word out about this book. I'm, I'm sure it'll be a benefit to many. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time here on WCN TV. Thank you.